0: Session 4. Devastated by Sin Session Overview The Origin and Reality of Sin Words for Sin in the Scriptures Application Exam Discussion Guide for Mentor and Participant Learner Objectives At the end of this session, you should Understand the Biblical and Christian doctrine of sin, especially its significant for spiritual formation and holy living. Embrace the Christian doctrine of sin, especially the insight that no spiritual development can occur by mere human effort. Acknowledge the devastation of sin in your past, confess and forsake any known sin of the present, and praise God for His deliverance thus far. Introduction The Tiger and the Goats Out of ancient India comes a fable about a motherless tiger cub. The orphaned beast was adopted by goats that taught him to bleat and eat grass. Indeed, the cub thought he was a goat. One day, a king tiger came along. The goats scattered in fear. The cub, fascinated by the tiger, stayed behind, afraid, yet not afraid. The tiger asked the cub why in the world he was acting like a goat. The confused cub could only bleat nervously. He couldn't even talk tiger. And continued to nibble grass the king tiger picked up the cub and carried him to the edge of a clear lake he made the cub look at their two images reflected in the water the tiger thought the little fellow would make his own correct conclusions but the cub just kept on bleeding like a goat next the king tiger made the cub eat raw meat at first he couldn't stand it but as he ate more and felt it warming his blood The truth about what he really was became clear to him. Lashing his tail and digging his claws into the earth, the young beast raised his head high, and the jungle trembled at his exultant roar. In India, the tiger represents all that is strong, graceful, and noble in life. Humans were created for the noble, lofty, and holy life. But because of sin, we live like goats alienated from our best selves as we struggle along failing and falling even when we aim high god has planted his image within us it guides goads and woos us toward god and good if one never discovers his or her tigerhood it becomes easier to be content with goathood but as god would have it in the juvenis of the year comes christ the tiger Once we have discovered the tiger within, or encountered Christ the tiger, our goathood becomes a problem. How can you live as a goat in the light of God's blazing holiness? Some goats crucify the tiger to escape his gaze and call. Others claim that tigerhood is just an illusion. Forget it. The best we can do is to become a well-adjusted goat. Others advise us not to think about our goatness. If the smell gets bad, just air out the place. Stay busy, work two jobs, and keep the TV blaring. Don't give yourself a chance to contemplate your goathood. Moralists try to housebreak the goat. Make it a good moral goat. This kind of grass also fails to fill the aching spiritual void within. We were created in the image of God, to serve Him and one another in love. Yet we have crowned self as God. Like Adam, we have all lost paradise. But we carry paradise around inside as a longing for a blessedness that is no more, but that can, we hope, someday be again. But our sin-damaged lives show that we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus Christ has the power to turn goats into tigers. This story of the tiger and the goats is a living classic. It can be found in many places, including the following sources. The Magnificent Defeat by Frederick Buckner. Harper and Row nineteen eighty five, page ninety to ninety five. Herald of Holiness, April nineteen ninety six, page two. Reflecting God West Tracy et al Beacon Hill Press of Kansas City two thousand, page thirty two and thirty three Devastated by Sin The Origin and Reality of Sin We, the very ones intended to reflect God's image in this world, so often end up unholy and unhappy. Me, God's work of art, God's poem. Surely you jest. Mirror God to the world. Are you kidding? I am so lost. I wonder if I'll ever find my way. The more I try, the worse I get. I am ashamed of what I do, and even more ashamed of what I want to do. Aglow with the Spirit, Romans chapter twelve verse eleven. Peaceful, calm. My heart is more like a traffic jam on a hot day. If I am supposed to reflect the image of God, if I was meant for a holy, intimate walk with God, something has gone terribly wrong. You are right. Something has gone wrong with the human enterprise. This session will look at something we all have first-hand knowledge of, sin. The fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Genesis, chapter 3, verse 6. The first eleven chapters of the Bible apply the ancient wisdom to the great human questions. Where did we come from? Who are we? Why are we here? Why is there so much sin and misery in the world? Genesis 3 answers the question, why is there so much sin and misery in the world? Adam and Eve, our first parents, were deceived in the Garden of Eden, where they lived in holy and happy relationship with God, each other, and creation. But the serpent convinced them that God was handing out commands. Don't touch that tree because he was maliciously reserving certain beneficial things for himself. The deprived pair took steps or bites to grab their fair share. They yearned to be like God and they crowned themselves gods. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. That first sin plunged humanity into sin adam and eve bequeathed to all their descendants a tainted world a fragmented nature and a propensity to follow selfishness rather than god and good since that day we no longer experience god creation and others as friends something holy and sacred was surely lost the living portrait of sin emerges from that ancient yet ever so modern story the problem began with unbelief that is to say, with distrust or no faith in God's goodness. How could God really have my best interest at heart and deprive me of that fine fruit that is so good for food, so pleasing to the eye, and so desirable for gaining wisdom? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Pride or egocentricity also struts like a drum major through the story of the first sin. Eager to claim everything that God had, they exalted themselves to the control tower of their own beings. Egocentricity, expressed as self-idolatry, is the very nature of sin, theirs and ours. Sinful selfishness is crowned king of the heart. Self-gratification prowls the slums of the soul, dragging what was meant to be holy into the dens of sin and sensuality. The third intrinsic element in sin is disobedience. Adam and Eve put their distrust and egocentric longings into action and deliberately disobeyed God. They destroyed their relationship with God, creation, and each other. From that day until the most recent tick of the clock on your wall, sin has hounded human life on earth. How strangely up-to-date is this description from John Wesley more than 200 years ago? Open your eyes. Look around you. See darkness that may be felt. See ignorance and error. See vice in 10,000 forms. See guilt, fear, sorrow, shame, remorse covering the face of the earth. See misery, the daughter of sin. See on every side sickness and pain, driving on the poor, helpless sons of men, in every age to the gates of death. Is that fair? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 6. It doesn't seem fair that I should suffer because of the dumb mistakes of Adam and Eve back at the dawn of human history. I mean, I wasn't even there. How could I be held responsible for their antics? Ever since, and even before, Plagius and Augustine squared off about this subject, theologians have debated the whys and wherefores of sin that universally imprisons every generation. Not all of the issues have been settled. Before you start pointing fingers and protesting too loudly, remember one thing. The story of Adam and Eve is your story. It's my story too. They not only preceded us, they represented us. You and I have repeated the exact sins of Adam and Eve. You and I have destroyed our intended destiny of holiness and happiness in close relationship with God. Unbelief, distrust, pride, selfishness, disobedience... Every one of them have lounged at your table and laughed at your jokes. You have often ordered them to stay out of sight in the basement of your heart. But the gang downstairs is a disorderly bunch. They threaten to make a scene at any moment. Don't you wish you could control them? Some days you wonder if they actually may be in charge of your whole house. Sinners can quickly become like the Demianak of Gadara, who is controlled by forces stronger than he Ask anyone who fought addiction to alcohol, drugs, tobacco, or sexual perversion. Sexual appetites, John Wesley observed, lead a person captive. They drag him to and fro. In spite of his boasted reason, good breeding, and other accomplishments, the man has no preeminence over the goat. From Sermons on Several Occasions, London, Wesleyan Methodist Book Room, page 629. Morris Wiegeld declares that the sinful self is not only unwilling to submit to the rule of God, but also incapable of submitting to the will of God. The harder we try, the more we fail. John Wesley wrote, But though he strive with all his might, he cannot conquer. Sin is mightier than he. He resolves against it, but yet sins on. He sees the snare and abhors it, but runs into it. From The Upward Call, page 30. I'll call her Maria. She has a husband and a one-year-old son at home, but that did not stop her from going on a three-day binge just 13 days ago. She ran out of money after a day or so of drinking and shooting up, so she sold her engagement and wedding rings in order to buy one more packet of cocaine. Before the weekend was over, she landed in police custody. On Monday, she sat between her husband and her mother as they drove her to the Johnson County, Kansas detox unit. Maria cried and cried. Over and over, she kept saying the same thing. I don't want to be this way, Mama. I don't want to be this way. From Sermons on Several Occasions, page 115. Sin touches every part of our being. That prompts theologians to talk about total depravity. An ancient Yoruba, Nigerian, proverbial greeting goes, May your secret never be discovered. But our secret is out, yours and mine. We have destroyed our relationship with others, with creation, with God, and with our own best self through sin. Not Adam's sin, ours. The Bible tells our secret. Our foolish hearts are darkened. Romans chapter 1, verses 21. Our minds corrupted, and we have made God our enemy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Jesus tells our secret too. He said that we love darkness better than light. We are drawn to the light, not to embrace it, but to smash it, to kill it, for the light exposes our wickedness. St. Paul describes the pervasiveness of sin. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's decree, they continue to do these very things. Romans chapter one, verses 29 through 31. Some say that universal sin is the most empirically verifiable of all Christian doctrines. What dominant solidarity or commonality do we all share? Sin, words for sin in the scriptures. Examine the following Hebrew and Greek Bible words for sin and their meanings. Take a few minutes and do the following exercises. Read the references given. Read the definition in place of the word. For example, wash away all my iniquity, avon twisted, bent, crooked, distorted, perverse, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, pasha rebellion, revolt transgress, disobedience, perversity, and my sin. Chetaha, missing the mark or path, failure, following short, is ever before me. One could say that David knew all the dimensions of sin. Hebrew, Old Testament, words for sin term meaning references. Chetaha, Chetaha, missing the mark or path, failure, falling short. Genesis, chapter 4, verse 7. Exodus, chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Pesha, rebel, revolt, transgress, disobey, perversity. Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 13. Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 22. Amos, chapter 5, verse 12. Avon, twisted, bent, crooked, distorted, perverse. Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 30 and 34. Isaiah, chapter 13, verse 11. Shekra to err, go astray, mistake, Leviticus, chapter 4, verse 13, Isaiah, chapter 28, verse 7, Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 6, and Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 27. Greek, New Testament words for sin, term, meaning references. Hamartia, to miss the mark, Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21, Luke, chapter 5, verse 21. Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. Eidekiah, unrighteousness, injustice, injury. Romans, chapter 2, verse 8. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 17. Parabasis, transgress, trespass. Romans, chapter 2, verse 23. Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 15. Paraptima, transgress, trespass, offense. Romans, chapter 15, verse 15 through 30. Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 5. Anomia, lawlessness, indifference to God's law or ignoring it. 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 21. Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 9. Mark, chapter 15, verse 28. Sin and Spiritual Formation The native Alaskans have two dozen words for snow. Falling snow, new snow, dry snow, drifting snow, blowing snow. Each type of snow has its own word. If you are from a faith tradition such as Calvinism, you need only one word for sin. Any deviation from perfect adherence and performance of God's perfect will is sin. One word fits it all. Your intention meant nothing. You fell short, thus you are as guilty as, well, as guilty as sin. If you find yourself in the Wesleyan holiness tradition, you need many words for sin, just as the Bible does. In the Wesleyan tradition, a sin of surprise, falling short because of ignorance, is a lot different from a deliberate sin of rebellion. John Wesley taught that sin, properly so called, was a willful transgression of a known law of God. Why the doctrine of sin is important for spiritual formation. The way some write and speak on the topic of spiritual formation you would think that they are not aware of the devastating consequences of sin they seem to teach that with the right effort and skills one can cultivate the soul and move from the unholy to the holy in whistling in the dark frederick buckner says that some people act as if the mastery of the christian life is something we can make happen anytime we want to like fudge if we only follow the recipe you can't put god in your pocket like a cell phone and we cannot make the first step toward wholeness or holiness, except by grace. Singers like Mariah Carey and her song Hero assure us that we will find a hero within, a savior within ourselves, if we just look hard enough. But the Bible tells us, By grace you have been saved, through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 From Christianity Today, September 24th, 1990, page 27. Shallow talk of spiritual growth and spiritual potential flourishes today like wisteria on the sunny side of a barn. The term spiritual, writes Steve Turner, can refer to anything that cannot either be tested in a laboratory or bolted to the floor. When spiritual is defined without recognition of sin, destructive confusion results. Christian conversion is not a case of fanning that little spiritual spark in the human soul into a flame. It is the case of invading a dark and doomed soul with spiritual life from above. From the Upward Call, page 26 and 27. The Contamination of Sin Must Be Taken Seriously Morris Wiegelt compares sin to a massive contamination of oil spills, chemical dumping, and radioactive accidents that create irreversible damage. Even more lethal, he says, is sin that floods the spiritual environment with fatal contaminants. He quotes Walter Brugman's Then Comes the Poet. The poison of guilt is at least as damaging as nuclear waste. It must be put away where it cannot destroy or contaminate. H. Ray Dunning, Grace, Faith, and Holiness, page 278-283. through The image of God in humankind included four freedoms. All these freedoms were lost in the fall. Freedom for God. Freedom for others. Freedom from the earth or the world. Freedom from self-domination. Does John Wesley go too far? He declares that in the fall of Genesis 3, the human race lost the life of God. The love for God was extinguished. He lost the knowledge of God. He was deprived and became unholy and unhappy. He sunk into pride and self-will, the very image of the devil, and into sensual appetites and desires, the image of the beasts. From Works, chapter 6, verses 67 and 68. What the Bible says about the human heart. What is man that he could be pure? He is vile and corrupt. He drinks up evil like water. Job, chapter 15, verses 14 and 16. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, chapter 5. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, King James Version. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. John, chapter 3, verse 19. What does human sinfulness mean to me? Which of the following do you believe are accurate statements? Adam and Eve not only preceded us, but also represented us, the whole race. Our first parents bequeathed to their descendants just what they had to pass on, a broken relationship with God, fragmented natures, and a propensity to sin. We do not understand how sinfulness is passed on. We just know that sin imprisons each and every generation. Like Adam and Eve, We were able to stand, but free to fall, and we faced the same temptations they did. Though Adam and Eve passed on a terrible legacy, we must admit that their story is our story. And just like them, each one of us chose disbelief, disobedience, and selfish pride. I'm a sinner. So what? Read the scriptures below and respond to the questions that follow. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. Psalms 34, chapter 21. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Psalm 95, verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness to eternal life. Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 and 46. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 24. Which one or ones of these passages say that sins will destroy the sinners? Which ones show that sin's payday is death? Which one describes hell as everlasting destruction and separation from the presence of the Lord? Which passage describes hell as eternal fire reserved for the devil, his angels, and sinners? Which passages show that God takes sin very seriously? From Grim to Gracious Though sin and death entered this world through the failure of the first Adam, a second Adam came to the rescue. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, was sinless. Thus he reversed the evil that the first Adam brought on us. In the long run, considering this life and the next, Jesus Christ restores all that was lost in the fall. And even more, study these passages. Note the key concepts. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. First John, chapter 1, verse 9. How would you complete this sentence? The doctrine of sin is important to spiritual formation and holy living because sin is an inside job. From our study of the Bible words for sin, you know that some sins are acts. That is, sometimes sin is something we do. Sin is also what we are. Sin is an inside job. The problem is the enemy within our own hearts. Start with a clean white sheet of paper. Mark or smudge it with a pencil. This is how we often think of sin, an external soiling or marring of a clean soul. Take another sheet of white paper and crumple it into a ball. Now, try to straighten it out. Now, the imperfections are not the work of an external element. The wrinkles and creases are part of the condition of the paper itself. You can make improvements by straightening out the paper and trying to press out the wrinkles, but the damage will not disappear. The same is true of sin. It is not a foreign infection. It is our condition. Know that sin does not exist all by itself. It has no life apart from human motives and actions. Sin is not some external defect or flaw. It is not some chunk of toxic material that pollutes our body and soul. It is not something that can be spit out or have been removed by surgery. No, sin is what fills that spiritual vacuum created by the loss of a right relationship with God. From Lawrence. The Dynamic of Spiritual Formation, Grand Rapids, Baker Publishing, 2000, pages 51 and 52. Bell Lawrence writes, Sin is not an alien power or an infecting germ. Sin is the way we are. Sin is not something imposed on us. It is our very condition which has affected every faculty. Only a dramatic divine work of spiritual formation will help bent people become straight. From reflecting God page 33. Picture a medieval castle, tall stone walls, strategically placed parapets, strong swordsmen guarding the gate. The castle is surrounded by a deep moat. Safe and secure, right? But what if there was an enemy within the castle who in the still of the night keeps letting down the drawbridge so the enemy can attack? The sinful human heart is like that. Sin keeps betraying our lofty aspirations, our firmest resolutions, and our most energetic effort to walk in righteousness with God. This is what we have learned about sin. We were created to live like a noble tiger, but we have lived like smelly goats. The essence of sin is unbelief or unfaith pride or egocentricity disobedience. Our first parents acted out these sinful traits, and we have repeated them, every one of us. The sinful nature is both unwilling and unable to submit to God. Sin is an abusive master. Sin touches every part of our being. The strongest human common denominator is sin. We all share sin. Sin in the Bible is a complex matter and has shades of meaning that include mistakes, error, omission, missing the mark, being twisted and bent, going astray, trespass, transgression, rebellion, lawlessness, and indifference to God's law and will. Sin is not a problem that can be solved by mere human effort. Divine intervention is required. Closing thought. He belonged to a gang called the Wreckers. They were known for their violence, hatred, and sick sense of humor. By his own admission, he was a thief, a pleasure slave, a fornicator, and an adulterer. He took a mistress for 10 years and fathered an illegitimate son. Though raised by a devout Christian mother named Monica, he practiced a non-Christian religion that did not frown at the sexual pleasures that he loved. He studied communication and got the equivalent of a Ph.D. on the subject and became a teacher of speech and rhetoric. His sinful escapades continued. Then one day, he read the Epistle to the Romans and encountered Christ His life was transformed. He gave himself to God's service and became one of the most influential saints in history. He lived A.D. 354 to 430. His name was Aurelius Augustine, St. Augustine to us. To most Protestants, he is regarded as the father of Orthodox theology. The Eastern Orthodox think of him as the greatest of all the church fathers. The Catholics call Augustine the patron saint of theologians. Philosophers see in him the greatest thinker between Plonius in the 3rd century and Aquinas in the 12th century. Many of his writings are still studied by Christians. Perhaps the most familiar is his Confessions, a true classic in spirituality that any believer should read. The redeemed Aurelius still reflects God's redeeming love after all these centuries. Application. Number one, write a working definition of sin based on your Bible study. Share this definition with your mentor the next time you meet. Ask him or her for their working definition of sin. Number two, consider the following questions and record your response. Discuss your responses with your mentor when you meet. Consider these representative views on human nature. Which one describes humanity as you know it? Human beings are born totally depraved, incapable of one good deed or one good thought. Human beings are born good. Human beings are born neutral, like a blank sheet of paper. Society or environment makes them good or evil or both. No one should be praised or blamed. There is no such thing as sin or good or evil. What we perceive as evil or good are illusions. We were born with a powerful inclination to evil, but this is somewhat countered by the image of God within and by previate grace, whereby we are given the ability to choose God and choose good if we will. Number three, study the following passages and list all you learn about the nature and person of God. 1 Peter 1, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 John 4, verses 16 and 19 second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14 Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 Revelations chapter 22 verse 17 and John three sixteen. journaling note throughout your work in this module it is suggested you keep a journal it is an important tool in the study of your spiritual formation journaling is a tool to help you slow down in your studies and listen to your heart soul mind and most importantly, to God. Three key words to make part of your journal experience this week. Acknowledge that sin has had a devastating effects in your own life, family, and world. Confess any known sins in your present life and forsake them at once. Praise God for past and present forgiveness for sin and for cleansing your heart.